So let's start talking about the Christmas season by talking about mountains. Mountain climbing is biblical. I don't even need to stretch the truth on that one. Here's a little graphic that talks about the different mountains and how they were used in the Bible, from Noah's Ark landing on Mount Ararat to Moses, who was an avid mountain climber, meeting with God on Mount Sinai. He, he climbed so many mountains that he ended up on one, and he was there. That was the last place he was at. And then, of course, who can forget the showdown on Mount Carmel with Elijah, where he asked God to bring down fire from heaven in front of hundreds of prophets of Baal. And then, of course, Jesus. It's a sermon on the mount, not the sermon on the beach, right? Mountain climbing is biblical. But mountains are not just relegated to these stories found in the earlier parts of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 14, John is in vision, and John describes what he sees. In verse 1, the first part, he says, He looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion. It's there. It's in Revelation. I'm not making this up. And with him, a hundred and forty-four thousand. And then the verse goes on, and we'll unpack that. But why am I making such a big deal about mountains and mountain climbing? Well, a few months ago, my wife and I had the privilege of climbing Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, Africa. And let me tell you something. God had a lot to say to me on that journey. And there were many things that stood out, and there were many things that I learned, and I wanted to take this opportunity to share that with you this morning. So you don't have to make the trip up there and endure the things I'm about to describe to you to understand. But before we get too far deep into this, I would like to pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you will give us ears to hear what your spirit needs to say to this church this morning. We ask for you to forgive us of our sins. We ask that you will prepare our hearts so that we can listen to what you have to tell us about you in your word. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So, out of all of the things described in verse 4, the part that I'm going to be talking to you about this morning is highlighted in green. Unfortunately, we don't have the time to uh, unpack what it means to, what the 144,000 means, but many of you who have been attending our church this past year know that we have been reading through the Bible for the entire year. And I asked for permission from Pastor Silva for a little bit of creative license if I could jump ahead so you're actually not going to be reading Revelation 14 until the day after Christmas. So consider this a nice little introduction to something you'll come across later on in the month. But the 144,000, for all intensive purposes this morning, are described as a group of special people that have completely surrendered themselves to God and they go with him all the way to the promised land. But is this particular phrase, these are they who follow the lamb wherever he goes. 
that had special significance to me. It was a recurring thought that kept popping up as we continued the hike up Mount Kilimanjaro. So I'd like to unpack this phrase word by word this morning so that we can understand one of the defining characteristics of God's end time people. So let's start with, with the word follow. Following is something that many of us are familiar with in today's culture. If you are on any of the major social media platforms, there is a follow button somewhere. If you recuse yourself from any form of social media, I'm sure five minutes in your email inbox, I would be able to find a newsletter or newsletters you may have subscribed to, which by the way, this church has one. You should subscribe to it. But the idea of following indicates a level of humility, right? Because you have to acknowledge that you do not know everything there is to know to go out on your own. Following requires a level of humility. When you're climbing Kilimanjaro or when you're climbing any mountain, there are some things you just have to understand about mountains before you even begin the climb. First, mountains are inanimate beasts that demand respect. If you come into climbing a mountain and you are overconfident and you think you can conquer it all, well, the mountain's going to have some surprises for you. Mountain climbing demands respect and humility. Mountains are so large that they oftentimes have their own climate system that affects the surrounding ecosystem. So they are such powerful, I like to call them beasts, but they don't move, and yet they have such a profound effect. And when you start climbing Kilimanjaro or any mountain, at least for Kilimanjaro, there is this phrase they have there when you're climbing, and it's called pole pole, which means go slow, go slow. Because if you don't go slow, then you'll jeopardize your chances of making it to the top. You're actually not allowed to just drive up to the base of Kilimanjaro and hike up on your own. You're actually supposed to go through a licensed operator. Each operator has a certified guide that knows the ins and outs of the mountain, and they can prepare you to make sure that you get to the top. If you don't approach climbing a mountain with a sense of humility, then the helicopter, the rescue helicopter, is going to come after you. When we were layovering in Ethiopia, we actually met someone from Brazil who was a part of a group of five or six people. And out of all of those people, there were three people that... Where is it? It's on the valley. It's going to the helipad. Technology, gotta love it, right? <laughs> Reynolds, can you help me out? Thank you. So there were three or four people in this other group that had no sense of humility climbing the mountain. They would not stay on the trail. They would frequently take breaks. They were also smoking on their way up to the mountain. And Coincidentally enough, the, on day three, 
the helicopter that you saw that, or that you heard of in that video was there to pick them up. They did not make it far on that climb up Kilimanjaro. If you're climbing a mountain, it requires a level of humility and respect. God's people who make it to the promised land are people that have learned to follow. But it's not just enough to, it's not just enough to follow because I could follow a herd of demon-possessed pigs off the edge of a cliff and that might make me humble, but that would not make me very wise. Who you follow is just as important as the act of following. And in this defining characteristic, God's people have learned not just to follow, but they have learned to follow the Lamb. There we go. Who you follow is just as important as the act of following. They say that if you, go, if you go visit someone, you can build a narrative around a person based on the pictures they have hanging up in their home. You can figure out the kind of person someone is based on the bumper stickers they have on their car. You can also figure out who people are based on who they are following. I was on Twitter earlier this week, and I checked out the official Twitter account for KFC. KFC's Twitter account has 1.4 million followers, but they are only following 11 people. So I have, I have those 11 people screenshotted over here. And the people that are highlighted in red, Jerry Horner, Melanie Brown, Emma Bunton, Mel C, and Victoria Beckham, how many of you know what all of those people have in common? I thought I heard it. Spice Girls, thank you. Okay, so all five of those people are from the Spice Girls. And then KFC also follows six individuals named Herb. So KFC follows 11 herbs and spices, which just so happens to be the ingredients in their secret original recipe. <laughs> who you follow tells you something about who you are. It reveals something about who you are. I probably should have shared that towards the end. I feel like I've lost half of you <laughs> to Kentucky Fried Chicken. But here's a picture of all of the people that were involved in helping us get to the top. Out of the eight or so of us that were a part of our group, there were people from guides to cooks to porters who carried your stuff to even the person responsible for waste management. Now, I want you to look at this picture, and I want you to tell me where is the lead guide in this picture. I'm not even going to give you a chance. I'm just going to tell you right now. There is no physically qualifying characteristic that sets our lead guide apart from us in the rest of this group. Our guide's name was Amani, and he was a very experienced guide. He was the person responsible for increasing our chances of getting to the top. Now let me tell you something about Amani. Amani has been climbing Kilimanjaro for over 25 years. He summited the mountain over 350 times. 
And for being the experienced person that he is, he never once had to flaunt his credentials in order for us to respect him. It came through in how he interacted with us. It came through in how he led us. He was there with us every step of the way, answering our questions, debriefing us at the end of each day and the beginning of each morning, checking in with us to make sure that we were doing okay. No job was above or beneath Amani. He even explained to us how to use the pump toilet at camp. And because of that experience, because of that interaction, because of that humility he had with us, it did not take us long for us to respect him and his experience. Because we wanted to get to the top, and he was going to be the person to help us get there. So humility still plays into this part of the phrase. Our guide was not only an experienced guide, but he was a very humble guide. And he was not set apart in any physical way. He was there with us through the entire journey. I find it interesting that in, I find it interesting in this phrase that God's people who make it to the promised land are people that follow the Lamb. It's imagery that reminds us of the sacrifice, of the surrender, of the intense love that God had for us. And it's interesting because it doesn't say that these people have followed the king or followed some majestic royal grandeur. No, the imagery that, evoked, that is evoked here is one of humility. God's people who make it to the promised land are people that have learned to follow the Lamb. Sometimes I take this visual for granted here. When I think of following and I think of lambs, I think of your standard picture where you have sheep with a shepherd, right? And you have a multitude of sheep and you've got a shepherd that's kind of standing there overpowering and guiding them. But if you take a literal look at what it means to follow the lamb, this is what it would look like. It seems a little backwards, right? So I want you guys to keep this in mind anytime someone who may not be a Christian or who may not understand the depth of what the lamb means to understand that it probably seems strange to them because this is what they are seeing. It doesn't make sense unless you understand the significance of the sacrifice. But once you understand the significance of the sacrifice, it all comes together. God's people have learned not just to follow, but to follow the Lamb. But that's not all. God's people who make it to the Promised Land have learned to follow the Lamb wherever. Out of all of the words in this defining characteristic, this by far, in my opinion, is the most powerful because it speaks to our insecurities and it compels us to be vulnerable. Follow the Lamb wherever? Let's take this down a level. If you had someone that called you up and said, hey, let's hang out and go somewhere, you might respond by saying, sure, where are we going to go? If that person says, oh, you know, wherever, how are you going to feel? How will you respond? A lot of it will probably be dependent on your personality. If you are a type B personality, then you might be more laid back and relaxed and yeah, I don't care where we go. Let's just go somewhere. 
If you're a type A, someone that needs a plan for everything and a backup plan for everything, then you might be a little bit uncomfortable. Regardless of your personality, though, I think we can all agree that a large part of that request would depend on who's asking, right? If a complete stranger were to make that inquiry of me and ask me, hey, let's go wherever, I'd be less inclined to just tag along. But if it's someone I know, if it's someone I trust, then it becomes less of an issue. Okay, so we go up the mountain, we have acknowledged the fact that we need to follow our guide. We have, we have acknowledged the fact that our guide is experienced and he's humble and we have a trusting relationship with him. Okay, he's going to lead us, we're gonna follow him wherever. That sounds great, but what happens if your guide, who you trust, is leading you up a mountain and he's leading you downhill? This was a phenomenon that I dramatically underestimated, climbing the mountain. Because you see, when you are climbing mountains, you have this visual in your head that you take where you are and you take where you eventually need to be and as long as you're closing that gap, you're making progress. As long as you're going uphill, you are climbing the mountain. And I thought that was it. I thought, okay, climbing a mountain means that we're always going to be going uphill. But that's not the case. Surprise. Here's an altitude graph of the elevations that you would be staying at at the beginning and end of each day. So we took the seven-day Machame route, which is a route with an 80% success rate. And you can see that for the first couple of days, you are making significant progress. You're starting at about 6,000 feet, and you are just going uphill all the way. You can see your progress, because on day one, you go from the thick rainforest to towering above the trees and potentially above the cloud cover. And it feels great, because before this climb, Sitar and I had never been above 9,000 feet, and we were above that at the end of day one. And so we were hyped up, we were excited, we could tell that we were making progress. But I want you to take a close look at day three up there. Day three was a very difficult day. Because we woke up and we started at about 12,000 feet in elevation. And you climb up to an elevation of about 15,000 feet. And at 15,000 feet, you're at the base of the top part of Kilimanjaro. You can see the summit. It's there, it's within reach, it's no longer this distant speck in the background. But then, your guide directs you to go downhill. And I'm telling you, it is mentally crushing to be so close to the top and then to see that gap widen between your ultimate goal and where you need to be. I completely underestimated how difficult that was going to be. In fact, here's another picture that I took of Kilimanjaro. Do you see that picture? That picture makes me really angry because you can see Kilimanjaro in the background, you know, coyly looking at me, letting me know it's there. But do you see all of those ridge lines in front of it? Do you know what's behind those ridge lines? Downhill. And I am telling you, when you have this expectation that you need to go up and you're going down, 
it's, it's tough, it's difficult. Oh, it, it still makes me angry right now. <laughs> but this is partly what makes the climb successful to many climbers. And it's this concept known as acclimatization, adjusting to a higher altitude and a harsher environment. The principle behind acclimatization is that you want to climb high and you want to rest low. The idea is if your body does not adjust to an environment with less oxygen, then it's going to panic and it's going to cause a, potentially a number of complications that will jeopardize your chances of getting to the top. So you kind of have to ease your way into that harsher environment. And you do that through acclimatization by climbing high and giving your body a warning of what is to come. Hey body, there's thinner air up here. You're going to have to work extra hard to make sure that you can adjust. But to prevent your body from panicking, you go back down and you rest low so that your body has a chance to recover. And even though you're going downhill, this process makes you stronger for the rest of the journey. So sometimes going downhill may seem defeating, but it's designed to increase your chances of success. In fact, this is actually a, a misconception about climbing Everest. When you, look up, when you look at a map of a route or routes going up Everest, you'll see a single line snaking up to the top with checkpoints along the way. But you would be mistaken to think that you climb Everest by first getting to base camp, then going to camp one, to all the way up to the top. The climb actually looks more like this. You get to base camp, you acclimate, you get adjusted to the higher altitude, and then when the time comes, your guide will take you up to camp one, you'll stay there for maybe one or two days, and then you climb back down to base camp. And then you go back up to camp one, and then camp two, and then you come all the way back down to base camp. It's a staggered climb up Everest. It's not a straight shot journey. And that's why climbers spend weeks on Everest, because they need to acclimate to the higher and harsher environment, especially for when they prepare for going to the death zone. So climbing mountains requires not just going up, but it requires going downhill. The journey is not linear but it's designed to increase your chances for success. When I think of journeys, I think of the, I think of the, um, I think of the exodus, the journey that the Israelites took from the land of Egypt to the promised land. Here's a map that highlights the journey and the route that the Israelites took to get to the promised land. Notice that Egypt is over here on the, on the left-hand side, and the Promised Land is over here towards the top right. The part that's in red is the route that they took. And I want you to look closely because the path that God took them was not a straight-shot path through the desert to the Promised Land. There's a lot of loops. There's a lot of direction in the opposite way of where the Promised Land is, but this is where God took them. And when I read through the story of the Israelites in the wilderness and I read through all the things that they went through, I see in this picture an acclimatization journey to the promised land. Because the Israelites had been in slavery for 400 years, they had 
forgotten how to follow God. They had forgotten many of the concepts and principles that their ancestors had been taught by God himself. So there was this big adjustment period that God needed to take his people through to get them to the promised land. Because God knew that if they could not learn to trust in God in the desert where they had no immediate enemies, they would not be able to trust God when they made it to the promised land and their conquest began. It was a big adjustment period for them. And even though it goes around in circles and it, just is, it doesn't make any logical sense why God would lead them this way, this was God preparing his people to be ready for the promised land. They even tried. They even tried to take a direct route to the promised land. They sent out messengers saying, please let us pass through your country. We won't stop in your country. We won't eat. We'll just go through and it'll be as if we never made it, as if we were never there. And yet, they were rejected. So this journey that was supposed to only take, you know, maybe a matter of days or weeks, took them years because of the adjustment. They had many things that they needed to learn. And they had many things that God needed to teach them. So when you're on your journey and you're walking with God and God is leading you, there may be times in your life where you feel like you're flatlining. flatlining. There may be times in your life where you may be backsliding. There may be times where you think you're supposed to be going up, but you're not. In fact, you're going down. And you may be wondering, why? Why, God? Why are you taking me downhill? What are you trying to prepare me for? And I want to draw your attention to the fact that following the Lamb Following the Lamb wherever indicates that it's not about the direction, it's about the director. If you learn to follow the Lamb wherever, if you've built that trusting relationship with God to the point where you're okay with Him taking you wherever He needs to take you to get you to the promised land, then it doesn't matter which direction God takes you. Because as long as you're following the right person, you'll be okay. God's people do not just follow the Lamb wherever, but they learn to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. I already explained to you how Amani was our guide, and he was there with us every single step of the way. And we have many verses in the Bible that reveal to us that Jesus has not forsaken us. John 14, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Even though Jesus has passed through the heavens, even though he has come and he has walked the walk that we are walking through right now, he didn't just stay up in heaven and say, well, this is what I did. This is what you need to do. I'm going to sit up here and I'm going to watch you make the climb up to the promised land. No, he is very much wanting to be involved in our journey to help us get to the promised land. In fact, if you take a closer look at, at the word here, he goes, this is the Greek word for it. Um, I'm not sure about how to pronounce it, so I won't even try. But this word means that it, it means to lead or bring under, or it means to lead on slowly or to depart. But I want you to notice the tense and the mood that this, written, that, that this phrase is written in. This, this part of the phrase, he goes, is written in the present subjunctive active. Now, 
Stay with me for a second. Right? I, I promise you, this is going to make some sense. But this is written in the present tense. This is not something that is happening in the past. God's people that follow the Lamb wherever He goes, that's God very much being present. This is not God having done His thing and He's saying, okay, now it's your turn, good luck. This is present. It's also written in the subjunctive mood, which basically means that it is, it, it basically means that it's a hypothetical action that will occur in either the present or the future. So what does that mean? That means that God intends to go on this journey. If you are going to follow God to the promised land, he is going to be there as part of the journey. It's something that, it's an action that is intended to happen. And it's written in the active, in the active voice because that's God that's doing the action. So if you commit your life to following God, if you commit your life to following God wherever, then know this, God is going to be on that journey with you. He's not going to be sitting up on Mount Olympus and say, it's your turn. He's not going to go on this journey with you feeling obligated like, oh, I did this once, I got to do it again. This is something that God wants to do for you because he wants you to be in the promised land with him where sin no longer separates us from him. And I think that's very powerful because God's people that have made it to the promised land are not alone. They don't have to do this journey on their own because God is there with them. It was a dark and stormy night on the night of July 3, 2019. Tanzania is eight hours ahead, so at 11.30 at night for us, it was probably uh, sometime in the early afternoon for you here. But Baltazar had come through each tent and woken us up at about 11 o'clock saying we needed to pack up and we needed to get ready for the summit push. It was below, it was below zero, it was really cold, and it was no different than a Michigan winter, let's be honest. <laughs> we got up at 11.30 and we left to make that final summit push at 12.30 at night while you were enjoying being at work, probably. But those seven hours climbing about 3,000 feet were some of the toughest moments of any time or any point in my life, up to this point in time. Here's a video of the pace that we took climbing that last 3,000 feet right here. Those aren't full steps. Those aren't regular steps. Those are half steps. And we were going slow up that mountain. Our guide was responsible for setting the pace going up that mountain. And he was deliberately going slow because if you go too fast, then you'll work up a sweat and then you'll get cold and you're going to be miserable. Go too slow and you'll be too cold and you're also going to be miserable. This is where following the guide becomes important because if you don't follow the pace that your guide sets for you, then that could mean the difference between making it to the summit and not making it to the summit. 
it was also very, the air was very thin up there. So, is the audio on, Reynolds? I'm breathing heavy, like this. Imagine taking a half step and a deep breath. And that was my breath at resting pace. But for every step I take, deep breath in and out, in and out, and it's negative temperatures, and it's dark, and it's cold, and you can't really see much on that mountain. The only things you can see are the headlamps of all of the other climbers on that mountain, which was really neat, but it was still difficult. The breathing was difficult, the climbing was difficult, it was, it was not very easy. It's also important to note that even though we were all together as a group, those are some of the loneliest moments of my life because you're so weak and you're so tired that you can't muster the energy to talk. So even though your guide is in front of you, it still feels like you are alone. And when you're struggling and you are in such a harsh environment, I'm telling you, this was like second nature. The only thing you want in those time in that time of struggle is some sort of encouragement, some sort of biblical encouragement to let you know that it's going to be okay. So between the, between the small steps, between the heavy breathing, I was trying to remember anything I could remember from the Bible, from Scripture. You know, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I was, it was, I was trying to bring it back to, through my head. When that got tough, I tried to think of hymns or songs. I'm pressing on to higher ground, da, 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 da. I didn't know the rest of the words. But when that got old, I, I resorted to prayer. Lord, give me the strength to take 10 more steps. 10, 9, 8. Eventually it got really hard. I couldn't even say that sentence in my head. And it was getting really tough because I'm not talking, but I still feel like I'm exerting energy just thinking in my head. So that prayer became short. Lord, 10 more steps. 10, 9, down to, Lord, just give me one step, because this is really difficult. And that process was long and painful. But you know, when, when we tell you and when we encourage you to read your Bibles, when we encourage you to memorize scripture, we're not doing it so that you can win that Sabbath school prize. We're doing it because it makes a huge difference when you're going through dark times in your life to have that database of encouragement stored in your head. Because when you're up there on that mountain and it's cold and you're struggling, your chest is tight, your throat is tight, you're popping ibuprofen like peanuts, which is how our guide described it to us, all you want in those moments is biblical encouragement. And so that's why it's important now, please, memorize as much as you can. Put that information in your head so that when you go through the dark times of your life, you'll be able to recall it. And this is one of the big regrets I had because I wish I had known more. I wish I had learned more before that climb. And so don't ever find yourself in a position where you wish you had known more. The journey was not dark, though, because the dawn came, 
and then the mountain started to illuminate with the early morning light. And so this is the journey up to Stella Point. Stella Point is not the true summit. It's like a guaranteed summit. Because if you can make it to Stella Point, then you'll make it to the top. So when we saw this, this, is, this was just right around sunrise. You can see the lights below us. That's not slow-mo. That's how, that's how much we were struggling to get to this point. But after, after 3,000 feet, after going up for seven hours, going through all of those body complications, we finally made it to Stella Point. And it was such an emotional time. We were exhausted, but we were excited. And I wish I could say that I captured the moment of how we felt up there. But I was just so in my own element that I did not take the time to really capture how we felt when we made it to Stella Point. And it was great because our guide told us that, we, that because we had made it to Stella Point, we would be able to make it to the true summit because it was only a 45-minute walk up 500 more feet, and the worst part was behind us. The worst part was over. Right, I, I'm telling you right now, I was, I was thinking about that moment when we were at Stella Point, and I was trying to recall how difficult it was going up in the dark in those seven hours, and it was hard to remember exactly how I felt. I knew it happened, I knew I had struggled, but I could not quantify it in words when I was at Stella Point. And it reminds me of a quote written by a prolific author who had a vision about what it was like to be in heaven. And this is what she says. They were in heaven at that point. And she goes on and she says in this quote, we tried to call up our greatest trials, but they looked so small compared with the far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory that surrounded us, that we could not speak them out. And we all cried out, hallelujah, heaven is cheap enough. When you're there, yes, it's a struggle to get there, but when you're there, when you're in God's presence, everything else leading up to that point in time is just, it's super hard to recall. And so when we were on our way up to the summit, this is the path to the summit. Again, still going slow. This is not slow-mo. The sun is out. The blue skies are there. The clouds are below us. And what once seemed like a small speck in the distance kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it was just really neat because this journey that had taken us through the ups and downs, this journey that required us to not just be humble, but to keep pressing forward even when it got difficult, met its fulfillment here at the summit. If you don't learn, friends, to follow the guide right now, you're not going to be following the guide on summit day you might not even be there. That's why it's important to understand and capture these basic principles right now while the road is still relatively easy. Sometimes the journey to the promised land may not make sense from a na navigational perspective. 
but the journey is designed to increase your chances of getting to the top. Sometimes going downhill in your journey or backtracking isn't a sign of regression, but it could be that during those moments that God is preparing you for the road ahead. And when you get closer to that summit, is the microphone on? Satara, how do you feel? <laughs> I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? <laughs> I feel um, proud. You should and be. And I feel blessed to have experienced this. It's surreal. And I'm tired. <laughs> you made it up here. I'm very tired. It's worth it, friends. I, I haven't been to heaven, but through this experience, learning what it means to follow your guide and then making it to the top only makes me want to follow the Lamb even more. Amen. And that's a defining characteristic of God's people that make it to the promised land at the end of time. They have learned to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. In closing, I'd like to invite you all to, to stand with me. My appeal for you this morning is simple. I have two appeals. Some of you here may have been looking at the mountain from a distance, but you may have never committed to making that climb. And you've been wondering whether or not you should commit. And you may have never made that decision to commit to following the Lamb. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to invite those of you who have never made that commitment, but you want to make that commitment this morning to raise your hand to say, Lord, I want to commit to following you for the rest of my life. Is there anyone here that wants to make that commitment? Amen. Amen. My second appeal is for those of you that have committed to following the Lamb, but maybe there have been times where you have not followed the Lamb wherever He goes. Maybe you may have veered off the journey, or maybe your trust in God has lapsed, or maybe you felt like you had a better way or a better idea of how to get out there. But this morning you want to recommit to following the Lamb wherever He goes, even if it doesn't make sense to you. If that's your desire, I want to invite you to come to the front. I want to have a special prayer for you this morning. Friends, the journey is only going to get tougher before we get to heaven. But God, in his mercy, wants to lead us there. And he wants to lead us through the journey that is designed to help us get to the top. If that's your desire, I want to invite you to come to the front. Time is short, friends. Now is not the time to, to take this lightly. God wants us to be there in heaven with him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for paving the way before us. We thank you for loving us so much that instead of leading us from above, you are leading us right where we are. 
Lord, we know that you love us so much that you don't want us to be here. You don't want us to get settled and accustomed to this life, but you want to bring the plan of salvation to a complete circle of conclusion that ends with the annihilation of sin and the ability to live in your presence. Lord, thank you for making this simple for us. Thank you for being a God we can trust. Thank you for being a God that we can follow. And thank you that all we need to do is follow you wherever you go. And as long as we are following you, we'll be okay. Help us in our times of, of doubt to remember to trust in you. And for the people this morning that have come up that want to recommit their lives to you, Lord, I ask that you will be with them in their journey. That this life will not distract them from the ultimate summit that we are all wanting to climb towards. Help us to keep that at the forefront of our minds as we go through our lives day to day. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. We thank you for sacrificing yourself for us. We thank you for sending the gift of your son down to our level to be with us. Thank you so much for all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.